I'm excited to introduce to you today a new regular contributor to the Simply Charlotte Mason podcast. It's a longtime friend of mine, a dear friend of mine, and she might be familiar to some of you too. Welcome to the Simply Charlotte Mason podcast. I'm Sonia Schaefer, and today I want to introduce to you Rochelle Baborna. Rochelle, I am so excited to have you joining me on the podcast. Thank you. I'm really excited to join as well. And regular contributing solo things as well as yes. conversations. It's going to be fun. So today, let's just kick it off with a conversation. All right. And I know many people know you as the Charlotte Mason math lady, you know, mm -hmm. but there is so much more to your wisdom and your knowledge. And I'm excited that you'll be able to share about that in the coming weeks and months. But today we're going to start with math. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so what we want to talk about today is some people might be new to Charlotte Mason math, mm -hmm. and it's different from the way many of us were taught math. So let's talk about how people can get started with a Charlotte Mason approach to mathematics. Mm -hmm. What do they need to keep in mind? All right. So I think one of the things that happens is that people think that Charlotte Mason math is different from the way she taught other subjects. But some of the things that we're going to go through today, I want people to be listening and thinking about that they already know a lot of these methods because they're the same methods that run like threads throughout her other subjects. So the big difference is that she didn't use living books for Correct. math. So, right. so that, like you said, it's easy for us to say, oh, then this is completely separate. Mm -hmm. This is completely different. But I like how you said there are so many other mm -hmm. similarities. Mm -hmm. Even though it's not a living book approach, right. there's a living component to it. There's a living component to it. And even though she didn't use picture books or a story narrative to teach math, she recognized that the language of math was living. Yeah, good, good. So... Let's talk about what to expect All right. and some of those areas that we might be able to make some connections with other methods sure. that she used. Right. Where should we start? Well, whenever I'm thinking about things like this, I think about the three educational keys of atmosphere, discipline, and life. Yeah. So part of the atmosphere of a math lesson is that it's a short lesson, and you'll recognize this too with all of her other subjects. These are short, concentrated lessons. So many of us grew up with hour-long math yeah. lessons, mm -hmm. and we feel like because we were taught this way, you've got to drill it and kill it. Right. Um, and so that's what most of the hour is, is all this drilling and killing. Mm -hmm. So how would you reassure the parent who says, but if I don't do a long math lesson, my child's not going to learn math. Okay. Well, think about it perhaps for yourself. If you have two hours to complete a project, you might tend to dawdle, get distracted. But if you have, say, 20 to 30 minutes to complete a project, you're going to stay focused and give your attention to that project. So the short math lessons in the early years, they're about building to about 15 minutes and then we include five minutes of mental math, which we'll talk about later. And then even in high school, those lessons never, they never expand beyond 30 minutes. Okay, great. So the short lessons, that, as you said, is a, a staple. 
Charlotte Mason yes. method across the mm -hmm. board, and we need to apply it to math too. Yes. As hard as it may seem, mm -hmm. it does work. Yes, so. <laughs> because the child is actually learning more by being able to fix his attention mm -hmm. for that 20 or 30 minutes than, you know, up to two hours. I've heard people say they are giving their their high schoolers two hours with a math lesson. Oh, wow. And you can think that, um, I mean, you can just imagine that they really aren't learning a lot past the first 30 minutes anyhow. The brain can only take so much. Right. Um, our children are expending great mental effort during yeah. this time, so we need them to stay fresh. Which brings me to uh, the second point on getting started, and that's when we schedule the child's math lesson. Oh, during the day, when, when we schedule it. Mm -hmm. Okay. Right. I think I know where you're going with this, yes. but go ahead, tell me. So we want to schedule their math lesson when they're at their freshest. Mm -hmm. So now, traditionally, in Charlotte Mason schools, math was the second lesson of the day following Bible. So unless the child was learning to read, they might have a short 10-minute reading lesson following Bible and then go into their math lesson. But um, this works... Again, the beauty of homeschooling is that we get to choose what's right for our family and for our children. So this worked great for one of my children. Mm -hmm. This boy was up and at him at 5.30 every morning, raring to go, and so we had his math lesson right away. Now, my other child was a bit of a sleepyhead, and he wasn't mentally awake until later on in the day. So again, just because Charlotte Mason scheduled it second doesn't mean you have to, but it is a, it is a good thing to try, good precedent to follow. Yeah, a good principle to keep in mind mm -hmm. when your child is fresh. Yes. I thought you were going to talk about the subjects that came before and after it as well. Yes, that, that's something we should talk about. It is a big part of the scheduling, mm -hmm. using different parts of the brain as you progress through your day. Yeah. So I like how she did Bible first, because mm -hmm. that's dealing with words. Mm -hmm. And then we're going to use a different part of the brain and deal with numbers yes. next. Yes. So then following the math lesson, um, which part of the brain or body would we like to use? Something different. So it could be something like even a play break for your, your younger child. You could have composer study or a picture study. Mm -hmm. Or what's really interesting is that in Charlotte Mason schools, a lot of times they would have a handicraft or handwriting following the math lesson. And that's because Charlotte Mason math lessons have a large oral component to them. Yeah, so often when we think of math, we think worksheets. Mm -hmm. And so if the child is writing all of this answers on the worksheet, you would not follow it with a handwriting lesson. That right. doesn't, doesn't make sense. Mm -hmm. But as you say, Charlotte's approach in, in those younger years, and what grades are we talking about, younger years? So as your child is, is learning to read and to write, that's when the larger part of their math lesson is an oral lesson. So it can be dependent on the child. But so we're talking about up to fourth grade. In fourth, fourth grade, then we see a lot more writing happening in the math lesson. And, but we are slowly building. We have numeration and notation. So our children are learning to read math and write math as they go along, but it is a slow, gradual build, and we never want the writing to overshadow the ideas of the math lesson. That's another reason that they're largely oral. So we've headed into um, another component of getting started with, with Charlotte Mason math, and that is 
oral work and incorporating mm -hmm. oral work into the lesson, no matter what age the child is, even in high school, um, even in high school, our students still have an oral component to the math lesson. That's just like narration. Yes. So I'm glad you picked up on that <laughs> because that is the, what we want to think about is that these are methods that, that we see throughout a Charlotte Mason education. Yeah. So if you think about our, our early years, we are reading to our child and they are narrating back to us. Orally. And, orally. Yeah. And through that is the process of assimilation where they are digesting this knowledge and then they are giving it back. And that's how it becomes a part of us is when we give that narration. So with our children, we are giving a lot of oral work and then they are taking that in, they are processing it. What do they have to do next? And in, if we're narrating a history book, they're thinking what happens next in the same way our children are thinking what process is next. I noticed a lot of times in the math books that you mm -hmm. wrote, um, we, should, we help the child discover how to figure out an answer, mm -hmm. and then we have them later on tell us yes. as they work through it, they are narrating what they are doing. Yes. So it's, it's not just, here, show me that you can follow the formula. Mm -hmm. It is, explain to me what you're doing yes. and why and how it works, just to make sure they've got the grasp yes. of the why behind the how. And we're building those, um, those roadways in the brain that way as well when we're doing that and when our children are doing that. And you can see by incorporating oral work that the child can get through a lot more during his math lesson than if he, he were having to read and write everything himself. Yeah, especially in those early years when reading to many of those children is not natural yes. yet. So you're asking them to do too many things mm -hmm. in that lesson, you know? Yes. It's like practice your decoding skills and practice yes. your fine motor mm -hmm. skills and understand the math concept. Right. Let's just get rid of those mm -hmm. obstacles, focus on the math concept, right. and we'll work on handwriting during the handwriting mm -hmm. lesson later or reading right. during the reading lesson. Right, in all of the Charlotte Mason subject, the focus is on the ideas. And so when we take out that that those two mechanical processes of reading and writing for our younger children, they're able to focus on the ideas. Yes. Now, when we talked about the child explaining how they are doing things, mm -hmm. I have in my head a picture of my youngest using the play money yes. and the objects mm -hmm. to do that process. Um, talk a little bit about those those everyday objects that we're yes. using, the manipulatives, if mm -hmm. you want to call it that. But yes. yeah, talk a little bit about that. Okay, so Charlotte Mason was actually quite unique I mean, in this approach of using concrete objects, but they were everyday objects. So we hear people talk about uh, whether or not a math curriculum is manipulative-based. Mm -hmm. Well, Charlotte Mason went beyond the manipulative-based approach. She wanted to use the child's natural environment so nothing that was scientifically based to kind of ignite all of the senses and stimulate their senses. So specialized, particular shaped right. things mm -hmm. that are only used for the math lessons exactly. that, that you don't see in everyday life. Right. And, okay. and 
this is across the board in Charlotte Mason's philosophy of education, right? She didn't think that you had to um, come up with a specialized child environment That's true. for them. Yeah. They learn best in, in their natural environment, their home environment. So everything that the child uses is something are things that you can find around the house or out in nature, but you're going to want to have a good variety of them and we'll talk about why that is. So first of all, we're going to gather our everyday objects. We had stuff. buttons and mm -hmm. beads and we used coins. We've used little toy animals. Yeah. Um, we've used um, food sometimes, yes. you know, like little gluten-free Cheerio type yeah. things or mm -hmm. just, I, and craft sticks we've used sometimes. Yeah, mm -hmm. a, a plethora. Right. <laughs> Anything that you have in your home that can be kind of gathered together, game pieces. Mm. Um, Fridays were chocolate chips and that was reserved <laughs> just for Friday because otherwise they're going to want those chocolate chips every day. But You're like the best math mom ever, <laughs> yes. you know? Well, that's when you want to do your division and your sharing exercises <laughs> on Friday with the chocolate there chips. There you go, yeah. Right. But we want to have, this was just, these everyday objects were just a part of the math lesson and they didn't continue all the way through or a child could... Um, Give them up when they were ready to. Mm, right? Yes. Because for one, if the child doesn't need them, they'll they'll begin to get bored with them. So we don't want to chain them to using manipulatives. But also they'll get bored if you're always using the same manipulatives. So change up those everyday objects. If we use buttons for two days, then let's go to beans, dry beans the next day. Um, if Money is one of the most important of the daily objects that we use, and that's because it's the, the money is able to really give a lot of ideas. And the main idea that money gives is place value, and that's because we have a decimalized money system. So it's very easy to learn place value when we're working with dollars, dimes and pennies because we've got our units, our tens and our hundreds. Ten pennies and a dime, ten dimes and a dollar. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And then we even as as the child progresses, then we can add in ten dollar bills and hundred dollar bills and and that's where your game pieces come in really handy. And playing different games. I mean the games probably are I'm not gonna say probably the games are not part of the math lesson itself. We do not teach math through games, mm -hmm. but they can certainly practice the math skills yes. with games mm -hmm. outside of the math lesson. So keeping their own score yes. when they're able to mm -hmm. and getting um, a monopoly of different things on the yes. board. <laughs> mm -hmm. Those types of yes. ideas. Even moving pieces back and forth. Oh yes, counting, mm -hmm. yeah. Or we we played one, oh, what was it called? Aggravation. So you've got your two dice and then you get to decide and you can break those up and move different pieces. So we don't play games during the math lesson and that play way Charlotte Mason felt very strongly about that the play way um, took the focus off the ideas. Yes. But certainly playing games outside of school is going to be um, really instrumental 
in solidifying certain math processes. And we don't want to put the focus of that game time on the math necessarily. Definitely. It's we, on the relationship mm -hmm. building, right? Yeah, so these are just your regular everyday games that you would have at home. It's, it's not a specific contrived math game. So if we're not playing games during mm -hmm. the math time, what is it we need to keep in mind that we are doing during the math time? I know you have used, a, a few months ago, you mentioned, maybe it's years ago now, I don't remember. <laughs> you mentioned, a, I'm going to call it a motto that oh. you came up with that is like click. It's mm -hmm. so easy to remember and yes. it helps me so much when I sit down to do math lessons with my youngest. Mm -hmm. It's like, okay, I've got to remember these three things, okay. and even rhymes, so it's easy <laughs> right? to remember. Yeah, it, It's new review and mental math, too. And so this is not something that Charlotte Mason actually said herself. It's something that I came up with just as a good reminder of what should be the components of our math lesson throughout the week. So that's the, some days we might not have all three in one day. We try to have mental math every day. And... Um, so let's begin with new. So new is the newest concept, newest idea, newest math process that we're working with. If it's a day that we're going to introduce something new, then that might take your whole 15 minutes of math class, and then we'll have our five minutes of mental math either at the end of that or if the child is beginning, if their attention's beginning to wane or they're getting worn out from math and you can notice that by watching your child, then you can have that five minutes of mental math later. But so that's the new part and that new concept will work on every single day of the, of the week. Then we have review. And so review in the, in the younger grades, so say first, um, first and second grade, review is going to be um, a lot of our oral work again covering the numbers that we've already covered. And then as we move on, we're constantly going to be having some periodic review of concepts that we've had in the past. So the review doesn't have to happen every day. Correct. But it does, does need to be included during the week. Yes. So, All right. so new and then review. New and review. Mm -hmm. So first and second grade, you know, we're, we're basically, we're exploring numbers, we're getting to know numbers, so we don't have a lot of things to review, but we do have to keep building on, the, on those skills. As we progress in math, then that's where we have the periodic review of, all right, we've learned prime numbers, now we need to go back and, and we should review long, larger multiplication. Well, yeah, as so they progress, there's more and more there's that more becomes review. Right. <laughs> yeah. And so we just want to uh, habitualize these processes in our child's brain and also the, the physical, how to do a certain notation, things like this. Now, how much review is needed per concept is going to depend on the child. So keep in mind that you want to have enough review that it's going to solidify something they've already mastered or build speed or just really make that a make it internalized yeah. almost like secondhand nature yeah to second, the, nature. To the child. Just, second nature they, they just know how to do it it well it doesn't cause them all the effort of decision you're almost making it a habit right. you know it's like yes. you're in you're blazing a trail in the brain of mm -hmm. this is how I figure out this type of thing or this is what six times seven is. Yeah. 
And it, and exactly, and it's going to be de dependent on our children again, how much review. So we, we watch, we want to give enough review that it becomes a habit in their brain, but not so much that they become bored by it and they start to just loathe, loathe it. Yes. Okay, so that's new and review. Talk a little bit about mental math. All right, because that is funny because whenever we're doing math, we are putting forth mental effort. But yes. mental math is a specific activity that we do with our children that is free from manipulatives or concrete, those everyday concrete ah, objects, uh -huh. and free from pencil and paper. So it's all done it in the head. All done in the head. That's mental math. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. Yes. From grades one to six, we're giving our children about five minutes of mental math a day. And it's going to be lively and it's going to be engaging. And it's also going to be um, challenging enough for them that, that they are really having to think and build good habits. Attention of, and mm -hmm. um, accuracy. Yes. Promptness. Yes. And I, I like how Charlotte talked about um, it's not every child is going to be able, well, putting it in my terms, this is not what Charlotte said, but not every child's going to be a math whiz. Mm -hmm. But even the tortoise, yeah. she said, should be able to progress a little bit more yeah. with each time mm -hmm. they do this or, or as they go through this mental math. You should be able to start to see, you want to challenge them but not frustrate them. Exactly. So sometimes that means that we might be working with larger numbers or more complex processes in our the new section of our of our math of lesson. Of the new review, and, uh -huh. right? But the mental math might be using smaller numbers, but we might be adding more of them. Okay, so can you give an example of it? Go ahead. I'll be the student. Mm -hmm. Be nice. All right. <laughs> and just do. We're not going to do five whole minutes of it because no. it sounds small. But I know I've sat in workshop sessions yes. that you've done, presentations you've given, where you walked us through five minutes of mental math. Yes. And by the time you're about three minutes into it, everybody's looking around like, aren't we done yet? <laughs> right. You know, because right. it, it does take mm -hmm. a lot of mental effort, it as does. you said. So don't give me a whole five minutes. Okay. But just give a, a quick example of what you mean by mental okay. math, okay? So um, with, with the child, say, in first grade, we're going to use our our word pictures and make an interesting example. So it could be um, two kittens are playing with two other kittens. How many ears are in all? You know, so the child has to think, first okay. of all, they're excited by the image of kittens I think the kittens playing, in my head, right? yeah. But then they have to think about how many ears those four kittens Yeah, there are four have. kittens and they each mm -hmm. have two ears. So yeah, you'd yes. have, it would be eight ears. Mm -hmm. And then do I need to, t to tell you how I came to that answer or are we just going? Yeah, so, th so that one might be a little, that one might be not the very beginning math lessons, but, but the child is always um, encouraged to give a full sentence because that is going to also habitualize the math facts in them. So in that case, you could say two plus two. Two plus, plus two plus two plus two. Makes eight. Makes eight. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And then we move on to pure numbers, and that could be, we'll give it just like dictation in this case. So eight minus four. Eight minus four equals four. Plus three. Plus three is seven. Minus two. Minus two is five. 
Yes, so we're going to we're going to build it, and the child doesn't know it's coming. So they're really it's really fixing their attention. And as they get gradually into that, mm -hmm. you could cut out those where I'm saying what the answer is as we yes. go. So you could just mm -hmm. say four plus three minus one plus ten mm -hmm. minus seven. Exactly. So the child is Just keeping these pause. things in their mind. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Oh, good examples. Mm -hmm. Good examples. And, and then we could, depending on what we're doing in our math classes, we could do fractions. We could even do algebra. So it could be x plus 3 equals 8. So you can take yes. mental math all the way through. You should yes. take mental math all the way through. Historically, I mean, we see that it, on the schedule, we see it ending in 8th um, grade. And then they had a time for reviewing things like um, like Euclid, Euclidean proofs. After they had proven something, then they would recite the proof back. Okay, okay. Yes. Interesting. All right, mm -hmm. so new review. Sometime during the week, yes. we need to make sure we are covering all three. New review and mental math, yes. too. And the new and the mental math should be every day. Yes. At some point, in the mental mm -hmm. math, I'm narrating, <laughs> and the mental math doesn't have to be the last thing of the lesson. It can be yes. if it fits well there, but if you need to move it to a different part of the lesson to regain yes. attention, or if you need to do it a different part of the day, you, can, you have that freedom. Mm -hmm. Right. Correct? Yes. I mean, Charlotte says that a change is as good as a rest. Yes. So if you see yes. that your child's attention is beginning to lag, then start that that lively session of mental math. And um, if you have a child, say, that um, gets kind of, oh, they, they begin to get fearful of something new is coming their way, mm. you might start a math lesson if you're going to introduce a new concept, begin it with review, and then kind of gradu gradually go into this new section so, of So math, you're starting right? on territory that they are well familiar with, yes. so they get comfortable and feel secure. Mm -hmm. And then you just take them one more step. That's right. what I love about Charlotte Mason. It's, it's not throwing all these new concepts yes. at them. It's just taking them one more step. Yes. yes. She called it like going up the rungs of a ladder. Everything is built, you know, you don't want to skip a rung. Everything is, is slowly graduated lessons. Again, at the child's pace, which we can talk about. I'll say one more thing about mental math, and that is that the mental math time is really great for solidifying the math facts. Okay, like the addition and subtraction tables, and mm -hmm. multiplication and division, yes. those types of things. Yes, mm -hmm. but in a really fun and lively way. And this is something that all of the children, no matter the ages, can get involved in and giving uh, mental math problems to one another, allowing your child to come up with um, his or her own problems and pose them to you as the teacher as well. If you're brave enough. Yes. Once <laughs> <laughs> right. they get into algebra, we might not do that. We'll have to see. We'll have to see. Oh, you'll learn alongside them. Yeah. That would be good for them. So let's, let's talk about the child's pace. Okay. Because I love how you talked about adjusting the scheduling to yes. each child as an individual. Mm -hmm. And we need to keep that same principle in mind with how quickly we progress yes. in these lessons. Mm -hmm. Talk a little bit about how that concept is a constant. Yes. 
And and again, we see that it's, it's part of Charlotte's philosophy of education yeah. is that we teach the child and we don't teach the textbook. So just because there's something called lesson one in the textbook does not mean that that is one lesson in you know, yeah, that, that day, check in, it off. We did right, that. You must yeah. get through that math lesson. Even so, if it takes two hours, mm -hmm. we will finish it today. Right. You know, uh -uh. Exactly. Uh -huh. So, and depending on the concept, some concepts a child will grasp very quickly. And then you can just make that part of their review. Um, and other, other concepts might take quite a while to, to grasp. And we never want to, you know, push or pull the child through something, we don't want it to be. Um, we don't want to base the progress on arbitrary standards mm. or on their siblings. You know, one yes. child might might get a math concept quickly, and the next child they might have a little take a little longer to really understand or grasp that idea. I think that's one reason it's so important to do our math lessons mm -hmm. one on one. Yeah. Even if you have two children who are in the same grade level yeah. or the same age. To me, math mm -hmm. lessons should be done separately so yeah. that you have the freedom mm -hmm. to go at each child's pace. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I mean, it does. It depends on depends on the children for true, one. True. Um, we were. I was able to give math lessons to my children together up to a certain point mm. when um, the older brother started looking over his shoulder concerned that the younger brother was catching up to him and might possibly surpass him. Otherwise, um, I have seen people able to give, if you're able to give the attention to each child that they need, then you can do that. But it might not, like I said, it might be just the mental math time or the child, one child could be working on review if you're having um, a number of children at the table at the same time. They can be working on review sections of their math while you're giving oral work in in one concept to another. But, you know, it can be a juggling. It could be, <laughs> It can yeah. be juggling. It is really nice because the time that you're giving one-on-one -on -one with each child might only be that that 10 minutes in the in the earlier years, first grade, second grade, third grade, or depending on their progress, you might need to be with, you want to be available to them throughout the math lesson, but as the child around fourth grade, we're going to give them a little more independent work, mm -hmm. but we're going to make sure that they don't get off, you know, off track. Yeah, off track. absolutely. But we we are they are learning to work more independently, and that is one of the habits that Charlotte Mason talks about of the math lesson. But never, and that is the ha the habit of working independently. But she doesn't mean that you send your child off to another room to do the work. Right. What she's really talking about is that the child is doing the work, not the parent teacher. That can be such a temptation, especially in math, but in yes. really lots of subjects, to I don't figuratively pull the child along. Mm -hmm. You know, and I, I just see him joining hands, and I'm going to keep walking, yes. and I hope you can keep up, and if you can't, just mm -hmm. lean on me, and I'll carry you the rest of the yes. way, you know? And that's doing our children such a disservice, it but it's easy to do when we, when we see them struggling with a concept. It's so tempting to jump mm -hmm. in and give them the answer yes. because we don't want them to have to struggle 
We don't want them to um, not keep up with others. That's the comparison game. I I do think that fear is is a strong part of that. So if you start to, as a parent, if you start to, if your child isn't able to understand something right away, we can start to get this feeling and we want to start kind of pulling them along or giving them the answer, Uh right? And that's what Charlotte Mason calls giving crutches. And she says, we don't give crutches in math and it's in our child, the child's own power. He must go. And that's like Charlotte telling us that that the only true education is Mm self-education. If we constantly give our children the answers or we call an answer almost right and that's good enough, um, that's That is a real disservice to them. And it's a beautiful thing to be able to allow your child the time he needs to process um, rather than thinking, okay, they're not understanding it. And there's an example I give, and that, that is I was sitting at the table with my younger son, and he wasn't working as quickly as I thought he should be, and I thought he just was not understanding it. So I was going to explain it a different way. And so I started talking and talking and talking. And this is my son, Luca. And slowly his his hands went up and covered his ears and he's looking down and then he says, "Um, mom, could you be, could you be quiet? I'm trying to think. And, you know, I was, I was just smote by that, you know, because I became that talky teacher that over explains. I've heard you say before that if we hit that situation mm-hmm. where the child's not understanding something, yes. and we need to be careful of jumping to that conclusion, mm-hmm. as you just told yes. us, yes, perfect example. But if we do come to that conclusion legitimately yes. that the child is not understanding, mm-hmm. rather than panic, mm-hmm. all we need to do is take a step backwards yes. because Charlotte's approach is so gradiated mm-hmm. and gradual that we can just go back to something they do understand, and it's usually only one step back. Mm -hmm. And let's take a, I think of it as a, you know, a running pass at it again. (laughs) We're going to gain some momentum, starting on the ground we know, and then see if we're ready to take that step to the one new, the next idea Mm -hmm. again. So rather than panic, just take one step back. Mm -hmm. Children can feel when we're panicking. That's true. Because we really control the atmosphere of of environment in our home as mothers. So yes, just one step back, sometimes two, but usually just one. Or just look at the example problems in front of you because one of those example problems might be the problem that sparks the idea for your child. Yes, Mm -hmm. yes, good word. we, we probably need to wrap up today because okay. we could keep talking on this for a long time. Um, but in future episodes, I would love to have you address, as you said, the atmosphere mm-hmm. of the math lessons and, and how that plays out. And discipline. I love yes. Charlotte's approach to the discipline that is instilled in our mm-hmm. math lessons and what our focus should be there. Yes. And then the life that is there, even though we're not using living books, we mentioned it earlier, mm-hmm that there are the living ideas given. So will you come back and talk about those things? Oh, I really look forward to going more in depth on each of those. That would be great. Thanks so much. Thank you. If you enjoyed this podcast, be sure to subscribe through iTunes, Google Play, YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, 
or your favorite podcast app so you don't miss an episode. I'm sure you're looking forward to the ones that are coming up with Rochelle Baborina. Thanks for joining us. I'll see you next time.